Hi, everybody. I've been really looking forward to this day because I've got a guest joining me who I met this year, but I've kind of known about for a while and been following. And he's someone who started off, started off trying to hack food. Then I think he got interested in hacking climate. And from what I can tell right now, he's looking to hack our mutual wallets or at least the finance of uh, sustainability. So welcome to the show, Armin Anaturk. Thank you, Raphael, for the introduction and great meeting you the other week at the Hack Summit. How have you been since then? I've been pretty excited and pumped up because um, that's one hell of an event. So yeah, let's start there. I went to join you in Lausanne in a beautiful little town by a lake, basically, um, not too far from Geneva, where you'd set up this um, incredible event, which was mostly sort of food tech companies and climate and other uh, fascinating sort of innovators and, and the capital providers and basically a whole ecosystem of people, not to mention the most delicious food trucks of <laughs> like incredible. I didn't it's the one event where I hadn't had to worry about like looking for vegetarian options or anything. It was just like everything was uh, plant-based and everything was tasty and incredible. So um, how did that come about? Yeah, I'm glad you could join us. You came all the way from Singapore. I very much appreciate that. There's always this uh, questionable, we're doing an event on climate and everybody's flying in. Uh, but I hope that it's an event that balances itself out with the business making that happens post-event with all the different innovators and you know, entrepreneurs in the room. These events, this Hack Summit, we host uh, once a year, every year here in Lausanne, Switzerland. It's an occasion for us to bring our global community of founders, funders, and operators together for one big two-day event where we really focus on education around key climate topics. I think we had nuclear fusion, we had carbon credits, we had whole protein, and a huge emphasis on deal-making. So we want to design events that bring people in the room, provide that environment so that you can find the right person who might be your next investor, might be your next investment, might be your next co-founder, and really provide the ideal environment for that to happen. And I hope you were able to meet some useful contacts there and meet with, you know, brush shoulders with some of the really leading names when it comes to everything driving climate tech forward, uh, whether that's from an investment standpoint or people just working on solutions. Well, yeah, I did. I met tons of, you know, super interesting people, people that we definitely want to have on the show, some of whom we had. And I think one of the things that kind of stuck out straight away was the event, the way you'd hosted the event, you, you, you'd you worked with a partner to basically create the entire, all the stands, all the kind of meeting areas and everything's everything using um, a sort of food food partner, like a retail partner exactly. or something. Can you describe what those pallets were and, and yeah. like how you managed to pull that off? Oh, the pallets. I've uh, tried to stop thinking about them ever since. The, it, took a, it was a whole <laughs> big ordeal of work, but it was all thanks to the events team and one of our partners. Uh, so with our cinema, events of course the concern always comes up about can you make the event as close to zero waste as possible and this year we really tried to take that thematic into uh into execution and where people would typically make stands and make uh bring in furniture or have uh, materials that would be end up being wasted uh, we decided to use these crates that you get in the market so if you go to the farmer's market this weekend you'll see these green crates that everybody uses to essentially bring their fruits and vegetables and the entire venue layout was built with these crates uh, i can't remember exactly how many we had uh, several thousand i believe uh so oh. it, it made up the walls and made up the seats and made up everything uh and the great thing about it it was completely zero waste there once the event was done we dismantled the crates and then that saturday they were being used in the farmer's market uh so full cycle 
from event seats to farmer's market. And that's really thanks to the events team. And uh, I think it left a pretty cool impression. It looked quite cool on camera. Uh, so we'll definitely be doing it next year. Yeah, I mean, it did because it's such a, in a way, it's just such a simple concept. I mean, I think they're held together maybe with cable ties or whatever, but exactly, some, of the, yeah. some of the stages were just huge. And like, I guess there's a lot of materials and, and circularity companies and interesting people creating new things for stand building but what better than just basically sort of lego that you can give back (laughs) give back to your your um your partner at the end of it so amazing work um but i mean that that must be like a hell of an event to organize how did you get first of all to having hack summit at that kind of scale what Mm. what's the story behind hack summit and and where did this all begin for you Hack Capital, which I'm the co-founder and CEO of, is a Swiss fintech where our mission is to unlock billions in capital towards positive impact. The key way we see ourselves doing that is making impact investing bankable, digitized and transparent so that more capital allocators can take part in the impact market. We traditionally know that impact investing has long return cycles. So investors see it as illiquid asset class. Therefore, they don't want to invest with a 10 to 15 year cycle. Although the early stage private investments where we found the biggest impact is being had, uh, they're not bankable, so asset managers and banks can't take part in it. And the whole investment process has traditionally been very undigitized. And so investing into companies or setting up your own fund can be a tedious and expensive process. Uh, the reason why we ended up building our own tools is because we built up a community behind Hack. We have uh, started with events, meetups, specifically focusing on the world of food and climate tech, which we started about four years ago here in Geneva, Switzerland. And these community events then scaled into about 40 cities around the world. We have them in New York, San Francisco, London, Copenhagen, Stockholm. Really, the goal is that no matter where you are in the world, you can attend one of our Hack meetups and already start networking with fellow funders and founders in your ecosystem. This community that we built gave us a great overview of what companies needed in the ecosystem. And the key thing they needed, whether they're a VC fund that's fundraising or a startup that's going to raise their pre-seed seed raise, is access to capital and the infrastructure to do that. And that's exactly what Hack Capital provides today. And these events that we do, the summits, the meetups, they're the accumulation of all of our community members coming together for two days of deep networking. And it's an opportunity for us to see people from all across the world and mix and match them with hopefully the next investor, partner, talent, or just a friend that they meet uh, through the events. So was Hack Capital the kind of always the end kind of, well, the beginning and end, if you like, wanting to kind of make the financing easier? Or, or did you, was it more of a humble beginning where you just were very interested in food? Like, I'm, I'm interested in the origin story. You know, it's it's very much uh, developing as in what we learn from the community. So we definitely yeah. did not see ourselves doing what we're doing today, uh, unlocking capital towards companies and the impact sector. How it really started is myself and my co-founders actually just needed a way to be able to network with people. We just moved to Switzerland. And if you know the Swiss environment, it's a little bit difficult to meet people and and make friends. And so we decided, just like everybody loves the kid in the class with the chewing gum, everybody loves the person who's hosting the party. So we decided (laughs) to host our own event where we brought together people around the topics of food waste and food sustainability. That was a topic that was close to our hearts because on my side, uh, food waste has been something that I've been taught to avoid as much as possible as, as a kid. On Emily's side, my co-founder, uh, she comes from WWF and she saw the, the issues with the food supply chain and uh, everything to do with deforestation. And the Cami side, 
uh, she stays very linked to uh, everything that's happening across the world. And so this huge issue of uh, food shortage and food, uh, unsustainable food production. So we hosted an event called Food Hack, a one-off meetup, what was meant to be a one-off meetup, <laughs> bringing together different innovators and founders and corporates to the room. The event was a success and we started to meet smart people in the room, uh, people who were allocating capital, people who were working large corporate firms and discovered that the world of food tech, uh, this this whole topic that was just being coined around then, uh, was something really emerging and something we should pay more attention to. And we felt the best way that we could service that growth of the food tech ecosystem is to organize more events like this. And so one event led to two, led to three. Now it's in these 40 cities across the world with events happening anywhere between three to five times a week, every single week. And, uh, and the, along the whole way, our goal is to just stay plugged into what the community needs. We still have community members who came from our very first Geneva meetup, who came to our summit four years later in, in Lausanne in May, and just making sure we understand what are their needs and what tools and services can we build that make sense for them. It turns out that what most founders and VCs need is access to capital. And that's why it made sense to launch Hack Capital, essentially bridging the gap between capital allocators and, and assets, uh, whether it's companies and funds who need access to financing. Yeah, but a great way of, I mean, you go through the pain, basically, of hosting the party, of getting the people in the room. There's a lot of work. I think people often underestimate just how hard it is to get an audience of people together physically in a room. So well done on starting that. How did you, like, how did you go from the very first one to, like, what was the the timing period before you realized you needed to do this more regularly and and you wanted to expand? It sounds like the way you expanded was through sort of almost an agency model, right? Rather than trying to, you know, global domination, like, um, you know, own everything kind of. So so explain a little bit about how that, what were your first learnings? Yeah, I mean, the the first few events we hosted just as the organizing team. So Cami, myself and, and Emily, um, we weren't thinking about revenue, we weren't thinking about business model. We were covered because we were doing some other businesses on the side. And we just thought, how can we create the best, and best, uh, the best environment to host these events? So we started doing them in Geneva, moved to Lausanne, moved to Zurich, and started hosting pretty much every month one meetup uh, for these entrepreneurs and, and founders to come together. Uh, eventually, someone who attended our meetup said, hey, I'd like to actually do these meetups in, in my city as well. Would you mind teaching me how to do it, and I can organize it for my local ecosystem. And that was sort of the start of what is now this licensing program that we have where we're able to scale into 40 different cities because local ambassadors essentially take the food hack and climate hack license and Mm -hmm. organize events in their own cities. And so the first one was with a fantastic uh, now founder of her own startup, Daria uh, from Agrinorm. She took our Zurich chapter and organized a whole series of different events around food tech uh, in Zurich, getting together 100, 150 people. And that laid the groundwork for us to be able to come up with a recipe, which other ambassadors have now taken to their cities and host events around. So it's really a a team effort. Uh, We have Colleen and Emily who really lead everything to do with events and events expansion. And then we have about 100 ambassadors across the world who organize events in their own cities and represent the food and climate brands. Amazing. So after a while, I guess you you expanded somewhat from food into broader, the climate side as well. How did that come about? Was it just through the ecosystem again? Yeah, it's always something that we wanted to do. We knew that food is a massive part of the climate problem. Uh, Probably up there is some of the most important things to tackle is how we consume, harvest and dispose of our our food. Uh, And we really see uh, food hack and as the avenue to be able to learn about climate through food. But there were other verticals that we knew we wanted to do. 
Uh, so about last year, we started to do the next phase, which is expand more broadly across other segments within climate tech that our audience felt were relevant to them. Uh, for us, we started with materials and, and packaging, which is a natural progression from uh, food tech. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, we're going into other fields, energy, built environment, carbon, industrial, transportation. And we really want Hack to be the community entry point for anyone who wants to learn about climate, who's building climate, who's investing in climate, to come and find an event in their city, join it for free, and brush shoulders and make business contacts with anyone else in the ecosystem and really kickstart their career in climate. So we felt that it made sense to go broader. And today we run these two different verticals, food and climate, and very likely that we'll launch other verticals in the future as well under this idea of better for the people and better for the planet. And and have you have you seen? I mean, we've all seen. It, you can't really void climate or in the news, um, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. But have you? Are you seeing different types of people getting involved? Is it changing? Is the landscape sort of different? Would you say from the last four years? It's. I think it's the most exciting time to be working climate today. Whether you're building, whether you're working in a company as an operator, investing, servicing, whatever it is, it is the golden age of climate tech today. We're seeing people who had traditional software companies exit and then now start their own climate venture. We're seeing funds that are generalists make climate a bigger part of their portfolio strategy. Uh, Wealth managers whose clients are asking them to make climate investments. And a whole group of different operators are coming from different sectors, whether that's tech or just traditional finance or whatever field they're in, and looking to better align their professional job with their personal values. I think that's the key thing is that people are are more so looking for meaning for what their work is, what they're spending hours every single day doing for multiple years. And they feel that climate offers the opportunity for them to better align their goals when it comes to driving a more sustainable future. And now with their financial needs, because all these climate companies are now getting venture funded. There's so much capital going to the space mm-hmm. that a lot of climate companies can now offer uh, salaries and job perks as if uh, as if you were working in the traditional tech industry. So I think if you're considering getting into climate, maybe you're frustrated with your current job, maybe you feel the impact's not there. I think it's the best time to go and find a job within the climate tech sphere because they need everything from uh, engineers to scientists, administrators to uh, back office keepers. There is a role for everybody when it comes to climate tech. And this is only really just the beginning more and more, we think climate will be built into so many different companies and will, will be um, not even a sector of its own. It will be so ingrained into every single business model that there are tons of opportunities out there if you know where to look and you have a drive to work in this space. Yeah, I mean, climate basically is going to be fundamental to every business, essentially. It's just whether it will be still be this kind of separate topic of sustainability, I think, is exactly. like all going to be about how we communicate better. And But there's a heck of a lot of changes needed. So obviously, you would have identified some really interesting fly on the wall discussions and and feedback from the food hack and the climate hack events and having i think it's always great to get different people in a room from with different perspectives because it's very easy as a vc to just think in this whole vc mentality Mm. but actually blended finance like other other finances and of course, the ecosystem, you know, grassroots uh, players like the founders and the innovators, corporates who are kind of doing these things. So 
why did you go after capital? Was that like the number one issue that just kept coming back? I mean, rather than talent or perhaps other other angles, it, it, was it really just based on the feedback of those conversations? If there's so much money coming into climate, then why do we need um, what you're building? Exactly. So climate tech funding, I think, made up about 10% of total venture funding in 2022, which is up from 6% in 2021. Uh, I think about 42% of that has come from Europe alone. And uh, in 2022, there's about 40 billion in invested capital. So everything sounds amazing. All this money coming in, tech crunch, EU startups, everybody covering the news of climate tech funding. But if you look at where we need to go and how much funding should actually be deployed in the space to meet our net zero targets in the next 20 years, we're far way away from being able to meet those targets with the capital that's being deployed today. Because most of the time, these highly valuable uh, highly impact-driven companies require a lot of capital to scale. They're doing maybe wild things like uh, direct air carbon capture or completely reinventing meats through cells. And these technologies require a lot of capital resources and time to scale. And so while it feels like we're overfunded and it feels like climate deals are happening all around the world, the truth is we need far more capital to come to the space in private markets, in debt markets, and growth markets all around. And unfortunately, there's a lot of capital sitting on the sidelines, being uninvested into the space for reasons that it's too illiquid, it's not bankable, or it's difficult to invest into sustainability. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you start investing into sustainability, you now have certain reporting that you have to do in order to keep your banking license or your fund license. And we really are building tools specifically to make it more liquid, to make it bankable, and to make it easy for fund managers to be able to report on their sustainable investments. And our hope is by building these specific tools, we can unlock the billions of dollars of capital that we feel is sitting on the sidelines towards impact assets and therefore meet our net zero targets. And that's why Hack Capital is there for. It is the infrastructure for sustainable finance, specifically focusing on companies and funds within the impact field and building tools to help managers and capital allocators to be able to unlock capital towards what we think are some of the most pressing issues of our time. So it would have been very easy to kind of got suckered into creating a sort of your own venture. So Hack Capital, <laughs> you know, isn't a VC fund investing in all the cool stuff that you get, like, because you've got in some ways kind of, I guess, uh, what would we call it? Like exceptional deal flow, definitely. But like exactly. you've got, you know, some competitive advantage in theory around all, all, all of the ecosystem that development work that you've been doing, which leads to great relationships with founders, leads to, you know, identifying really good opportunities at early stage. But you didn't go and kind of just do an <laughs> another fund, you actually have really tried to address something at an infrastructure level. So mm-hmm. that's quite a bold move. So tell us about a couple of the things that you're offering. So I'm obviously a, a, an investor. I'm I'm driven by driving positive impact as well as financial returns for my partners. How would I work with Hack Capital? What could you help me with? Yeah, definitely. I have to dig into that, but I'll go to your previous question of why do we not launch a fund, right? It feels like we had all the elements there. We have community. We have deal flow. We have relationships with founders and investors. It makes sense to launch a fund. A natural next step would have been to launch a VC fund and start investing into the top percentile of uh, climate companies coming through our doors. Truth is, we explored it. We looked at it, but we felt that if we truly want to be able to unlock billions of dollars in capital to meet our targets, we can't do that through a traditional fund structure. We need to instead do the boring but basic work of making it easy for the next 100 managers to come in and set up their fund. 
the next thousand companies to structure their venture or debt rounds. And we felt the biggest impact could be created if we focus on building infrastructure rather than being just another fund in the ecosystem. That would mean that we're one also competing with VCs who we work very closely with Mm -hmm. and only being able to service a very small minority of our community today. And so instead, we make the investment tools for founders and funders to essentially raise capital from their own networks. If you're a founder who's raising a $3 million round, you have a $2 million lead a family office coming in and you want to allocate 500000 to value-add angel investors, which there are plenty of out there, we provide our roll-up vehicle. So you can bring in John, Jennifer, Jessica, and everybody into the round without having to crowd your cap table. Uh, for, for funds who are raising maybe, say, 10, 30, 40, $50 million funds, the same thing is that as the LP market cools down, the traditional LP market uh, slows, they're looking for alternative sources of financing to be able to raise capital to, to uh, deploy their fund. And they look more and more at smaller ticket investors, people who maybe want to invest 50, 100, 250,000, who traditionally couldn't invest into these funds. We provide them with feeder fund vehicles. They can have an unlimited number of LPs coming in as a single LP. This really does two key things. It makes sure that you have good, healthy cap table management so that in the later rounds, you don't have 100 people appearing on your cap table. And this simplifies governance because when you bring in all these individual investors, you have to pay for legal and administration of getting everybody in directly. And you have to make sure that you tidy up all the governance uh, points so that every time you have a big decision or vote in the company, you don't have to message the whole 100. You can just message the one leader of the the roll-up vehicle. So today we offer feeder funds and roll-ups. But we're starting to do more and more things across the different capital stack, uh, which I think we'll start announcing in the coming days. Very cool. Um, I mean, there's some of these kind of digital platforms that, that already exist um, that people probably know about. So do we really need a, an, uh, an impact favor one? What, what, what inspired you to, to, to do it yourself? Exactly. I, we actually, uh, so I think the platforms like Vauban, Angelist, and Carta paved the way towards making or normalizing mm-hmm. digitized investing. They took the work of uh, administrators and financial people and, and, uh, and tax uh, operators, and they turned into a digital product. They built software to automate so much of the investment flow, drastically reducing the price. If you were mm-hmm. to go to the US to set up a fund, you might pay $100,000, $200,000, and then an annual reporting of something around the same park, one hundred dollars to $200,000. The AngelList of Obans essentially take that cost, turn it into software, and make it much cheaper. What we find was missing was that when it comes to impact, there's very specific needs that the ecosystem has, particularly when it comes to liquidity, reporting, and bankability. And we felt no other player was working on these three problems. And right now, the current solutions are, even though they're out there, they're not able to service the specific impact needs. And we felt the best way to tackle that was just build our own solutions. And so where we're really after is making impact investing more liquid by being able Mm -hmm. to open up a secondary market in the future so that people who see uh, impact investing as a 10 to 15 year cycle and that they're afraid of, that they don't want to invest, will have an option to be able to get liquidity earlier, make it easy to report on your investments, especially now when all these new regulations come in and fund managers are going to have a lot more strict uh, reporting that they have to do every quarter, make it easy for them to do that reporting so they can get their Article 8, Article 9 funds mm-hmm. and then make it more more easy to invest into. So essentially reduce the fees to be able to invest so more and more people on the sidelines can play a part in this. And as far as we can tell, there's no one after this market, most probably because it's smaller, it's nicher, but it's also mm-hmm. the market that we know best and it's the market that we want to service. Well, I'm glad you are because I, 
you know, I really think that there is an, uh, a need for what you're building. And I'm sure you wouldn't, wouldn't have spent so much time on it without <laughs> that uh, strong validation from your ecosystem partners. I mean, let's touch on liquidity just for a moment. Do you think, I mean, we know that climate change, biodiversity loss, inequality, these kind of challenges are are really multi-generational. It's not like it's all going to be fixed by 2030. But I guess most capital investing in early stage innovation and things that can really, you know, be quite game changing over a longer period is is kind of expecting a return in what, seven years, five, ten, exactly. depending on, <laughs> on what. So we have this this kind of structure at the moment that people you know, I know I hear from capital allocators and others that kind of, you know, already are saying, well, why don't we just do PE? And then, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, we get our return much more quickly and we only may, might get, you know, 3% or something, but we can, you know, get the money back and then flip it again. And and I, I, I think, is this like at the core of the problem, do you think, around mm-hmm. the blockage, if you like, or the lack of, I mean, we do have more and more capital coming in, but possibly not at the early stages. And exactly. and how can you really fix that issue? So you're you're looking to create secondary a secondary market essentially, so that people with different risk appetites or uh, might might want to take positions at a later stage to enable you know others to have that exit moment in in a more hasten timescale than it would take, for example, for something like precision fermentation or cellular meat or something like that to actually be be going more mainstream. Exactly. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, impact investing is typically seen as this long, high risky asset class, which in a way it is. These are usually uh, technologies that have yet to be proven out with long return on investment cycles, uh, usually pre-revenue. Uh, when you're building a cellular meat factory and producing, you know, kilos of meat on on scale, um, there's a lot of different hurdles you have to go through to to be able to get there. One of that being regulatory, which we just saw in the U.S. Uh, they mm-hmm. approved cultivated meat for for sale in, in the U.S. and this was a big thing that a lot of VCs were looking at and investors outside of the world of VC were seeing as a key risk of why they couldn't take part because it felt so risky and it felt so capital intensive. But the hope is that these companies that are tackling some of the hardest problems when it comes to removing carbon from the atmosphere, when it comes to reimagining and building a food system or making homes uh, less energy intense, the technologies and the softwares that they're going to build are going to be incredibly valuable and that bet is worth making, not only for financial returns, but also for the need. We, we, you know, we, we've been investing in certain ways the past 50, 100 years that haven't been driving the needle towards positive impact and climate change reversal. Maybe it's time we start questioning that. Is it only mm-hmm. about financial upside or do we have a duty when it comes to the capital that we have and the capital that we manage and putting it towards companies that are driving the sustainable future or driving a healthier future? And mm-hmm. yes, maybe it could be risky, but on-premise would you rather be investing into a company that's looking to change the world and make it more habitable for our children and grandchildren? Or would you rather be investing into a productivity app that's going to uh, return on investments in the next three to five years? Everyone has to come up with their own portfolio strategy. But I think we're seeing more and more capital allocators say, look, I think this is what our clients want and this is what we want to be focusing on. And we want to deploy a certain amount of our funds specifically towards companies in the impact space. And then just breaking down the portfolio to see what makes sense at what stage. Do you want to go super early pre-seed seed? Do you want to go Mm -hmm. later? Do you want to be mid-stage? Do you want to be a growth investor? And where we're really tackling is that early stage investment. So pre-seed to series B is our key focus. 
And then in the future, really looking at companies that are now starting to scale up their technologies. Maybe they're pre-revenue. Maybe they have a few million dollars. They're too early for growth stage investors. They're too late for early stage investors. Typically, where many of these technologies come to a phase where they're about to be proven out, they need to set up their, their facilities. But this is where they typically die because there's so few uh, funding options. We want to be able to support founders from their first investment to their first uh, facility all the way to, to exit. And for that, I think we need a lot more uh, education and a lot more work with the people who manage capital to be able to see the opportunity. Because if you look at the numbers, climate investing is actually a very lucrative, you know, very interesting space to be and should be part of everybody's portfolio. Uh, so we're bullish and we're excited that more people will continue to invest into the private markets where we're also seeing uh, more and more innovation happening than other areas like the, the private market. You have a bunch of amazing founders on, on these sessions. You probably see it, but the founders that build companies from scratch, from, uh, you know, from, from a business plan to exit, that's really where the biggest innovation is coming from. And that's the sector that's going to solve most of our problems when it comes to climate reversal and, and health decreases. So you you announced this during um, Hack Summit or, or your new platform, and it's very early days. But uh, where's the most interest coming from? Is it is it mature funds or is it um, emerging managers who are looking to set set up something, or potentially people with angel portfolio, for example, or or is it coming from the founder side? What's uh, the first nibbles, I guess, on the hook? Yeah, and today we're really seeing a drive from more and more individual investors to allocate their capital towards areas that they feel are mission aligned. So mm -hmm. angel investors who typically work at corporate funds or consulting groups or other organizations where they're able to make good salary and a good living, mm -hmm. maybe they feel that their work isn't directly driving impact. And we always say there's three key ways to, to drive impact. It's to start a company in climate tech, invest in the company in climate tech, or work in climate tech. And we're seeing more and more people opt for that option of two. Let me mm -hmm. vote with my dollars. Let me invest into things that drive a sustainable future. And then the rise of angel investors who start taking part in the climate economy is really something that's, that's very promising and it unlocks a new version, a new uh, era of capital that can come into the space, whether it's directly into the company or whether it's into a fund and someone manages their, their fund investments within a focus of theirs. Another key segment is really wealth managers. So their clients, uh, you know, typically high net worth individuals and, and uh, family offices, are demanding them to make more sustainable investings because that's where they like to put more of the portfolio towards, especially here in Europe. We're seeing family offices really put the pressure on to say, we want to invest into sustainable assets and we want to invest into things driving a sustainable future. And we work with several different wealth managers today who essentially are able to structure investments through us into companies within the early stage climate sector or find companies through our network and be able to invest into them as well. I assume uh, as a European or Swiss-based uh, company that your most of the structures and things are, are Euro-friendly? Euro exactly. So we actually chose Luxembourg as our jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. uh, it's well-renowned for being, I think, the world's second biggest fund administrator. Uh, they have many different treaties there that make it attractive for people to invest through there. And we thought, if we're going to pick the best jurisdiction to unlock capital, let's go with the most established one. And Luxembourg is that. So today we're fully EU compliant uh, and we're able to really unlock these big ticket investors who mm -hmm. like to have the safety and security of, of Luxembourg as their choice of uh, investment jurisdiction. And so for for someone that's um, looking to structure something in, on, on your platform, is it all fully digitized? Do they get like a relationship manager? Like uh, what, what's the experience going to be? 
Exactly. That, that's one thing we really noticed. And one thing we want to drill in is the servicing experience, especially when it comes to finance. Everything is done through relationships and relationship managers and, and long-term conversations. And the customer service has typically been something that's lacking. Even though you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, you're just another client in, in some administrator's portfolio. What we do is we uh, fully digitize the investment process so that we can get costs down because mm-hmm. costs shouldn't have to be $300,000 to set up your Luxembourg fund or $100,000 to structure a, a, a million dollar feeder fund. We can reduce those costs about 10x through Hack Capital and Construction Bay. Thanks to the automation that we've designed, everything from getting your investors KYC'd, onboarded, uh, present the deal opportunity to them, the signing and the wiring of the investment, and the reporting and the issuing of the investment, um, investment receipts is all mm-hmm. handled through Hack Capital today. So let's say, Raphael, you want to set up a syndicate today for your own audience and you want to start structuring deals. Mm-hmm. You found the target company. You know that you have angels in your network that are excited. What you do is you'd set up a deal page for target company on Hack Capital. There you'd break down the investment opportunity. Here's the brief. Here's the problem. Here's the commercial traction. Here's the highest risks. You'd circulate that to a group of investors who would have to be accredited and have asked, has requested information to the deal. They would review the information, probably come back to you with questions, maybe have a call with you. All of this is handled through the Hack Capital platform. And then when they're ready to invest, they can commit and invest, sign, wire everything through the Hack Capital platform. And there you go. In a matter of weeks, you structured a $500,000 investment into a highly impactful company in your network. And mm-hmm. you've been able to get these great angel investors who typically couldn't invest into these companies with their $5,000 or $50,000 ticket. Now they're able to play a part in the future of this company. Very cool. And presumably, um, you, 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 your platform also helps with the dis- distribution of returns and uh, all, all of that side as well. Exactly. So we do a lifetime administration for the investment. And so when it comes to returns being distributed, which we all hope happens, uh, we handle all of that. Uh, typically, what happens is a syndicate or asset manager will charge their fees and a carry. So, mm-hmm. you know, the industry standard is usually around 20%. And yep. the distribution, we always say, be ready for a 10 to 15 year life cycle uh, if the company exits. And then when exits happen, we distribute that to investors minus the deal carry for, for instance, for, for your syndicate or for your other wealth manager. And hopefully everybody's happy with their nice returns, a company that's gone public or been bought over and a highly impactful solution that's come to the market. And, and this is like done on a SaaS basis, I assume, is it? Some some form of fee? Exactly. So different uh, administrators, managers, and syndicates use our structure today. And we take a small fee for doing that. For every transaction that comes through us, we take a fee on that. Very cool. I mean, uh, it sounds quite easy. Uh, I kind of want to have a go. It sounds... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I'm really interested to, to know what, what you're thinking sort of lies ahead. You've been immersed in this space now for, you know, at least the last five, six years, I guess. And um, what you've built Hack Capital, obviously, that's extremely exciting. Is that where you, uh, but it's been an evolution, right? Uh, for, well, that's what I've learned today, kind of like food hack, <laughs> climate hack, and, and now the capital side. Where, how do you see this whole space evolving? I mean, is there any core themes or big issues that you think really needs to be addressed? And, and, and like, for me, as someone based out in Asia, uh, I, 
it's been interesting coming to your summit and, and also spending some time in Europe. It was a real eye opener to me in terms of the, the scale of the funding, the, 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 the sizes of funds, that first time funds and things like that with a impact approach seems to be just so much bigger than, than in other places in, in the world, you know, emerging markets. And, and I'm thinking of Asia, LATAM, other mm. places. So how, how do you see this all playing out um what's the big big things on your agenda i guess for the next few years the key thing that drives us every day is how much capital can we unlock towards companies that wouldn't have been able to raise funding otherwise and so we think there will forever be a need for highly valuable companies and managers to raise capital uh, to be able to deploy into solutions that are driving a more sustainable future and our north star is to make that as easy as possible so that the reason why a company didn't get funding isn't to do with anything that's administrative, which today oftentimes can be just a simple issue that the investment vehicle didn't make sense or the capital mm -hmm. was messy or they weren't able to pull capital from a network. So we remove these administrative burdens and also next phase, really be able to tackle all the regulatory issues that make setting up an impact fund difficult to do. Because today there's a lot of capital sitting on the sidelines from public investors who like to invest into article mine funds, a specific type of fund where you mm -hmm. have to adhere to uh, ESG regulations. But there's so few funds that are able to get this article mine license and maintain it because the reporting is, is so uh, is so great. We, we think that if the reason why people are unable to unlock billions of dollars of capital is because of the fact that reporting is difficult to do, that's a problem that we should go out and solve. And the impact that we can have will be extremely great because now we've just entered and enabled billions of dollars capital to come into the space. So we will continuously make tools that we feel make sense for our ecosystem and for our customers. And you touched upon the point of emerging managers or emerging markets. This is something that we really hold dear to us and something that we want to be able to support because the data shows it emerging managers and emerging markets get far less capital when there's plenty of businesses to be funded in these different sectors. And there's plenty of managers who are talented enough to pick where your investments should be going. And if you are an emerging manager who wants to set up maybe a five, 10, $15 million fund, you've been syndicating investments for the past two years, you have a good track record. But now you go to Luxembourg and they tell you that the cost to set up your fund is $300,000. For that reason alone, you can't set it up. Uh, we think that's something that we should go out and solve so that more and more emerging managers can essentially raise funds and be able to deploy into great companies. And same thing for emerging markets. We're working with a few clients where traditionally uh, administrators don't want to deal with them because they're difficult jurisdictions to do. Not every bank approves investments into uh, emerging markets, so like Africa and Asia, because it's just too complicated to do. Uh, any of these burdens that have essentially stopped capital from being deployed, we want to be able to tackle. And I think there's always going to be new problems to solve and always going to be the, the same mission of, of unlocking this capital. I absolutely love what you're doing. Thank you so much for taking the time, Alan, to talk through all of this. I really hope um, this approach pays massive dividends. I think it will, because I, I speak all the time to really sort of great people who are who want to deploy capital or have been investing deal by deal into things or are trying to get something much bigger off the ground but who are constantly frustrated by some of the boring but essential admin and um, <laughs> partnerships that you have to have for this kind of old finance world it seems at times to uh, to tick the boxes and 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 um, what I see that you're you've been doing that's really smart is really listening to your customers
customers really understanding deeply like the challenges and starting to address the boring but essential um, part uh, with with tools that can actually a bit more be, be a bit more fit for purpose um, uh, you know in a digitized world that we live in so thanks again for coming on I hope you enjoyed the chat I certainly did I look forward to tracking hack capital as it goes from strength to strength Raphael thank you for the invite and let's get you set up with your own syndicate right after this <laughs> you got a deal on the podcast let's do it <laughs> dm me guys if you want to be on in on this <laughs> thanks again cheers